thank you, Landon. I'm a big fan of Landon, so I would recommend taking him up on his offer and getting to know him as he runs across the stage. Um, yeah, as Jared mentioned, my name is Sarah Rosso, and I'm on staff with Crew here in Southern Colorado. Um, the guy who is up here uh, that they're telling the jokes to, that's my husband, Randy. So. Yeah, I'm a fan of Randy, too. If you haven't met Randy, I highly recommend meeting Randy. He's great. I think he's super funny. His joke wasn't very funny, but... <laughs> don't, don't let that impact you wanting to hear all his funny things. Anyway, um, fun thing um, about me and Randy is that we've been married for almost six years, and we, if you haven't talked to us yet, um, Maybe you don't know that we're in the process to adopt. If you have talked to us, you've probably heard us go on and on about it because we talk about it all the time. Um, but yeah, if you didn't know, adoption is a really long process. Uh, there's lots of phases to it, lots of steps. And so because of it being so long, a normal question for people to ask us when they find out that we're adopting is asking, what stage in the process are you at right now? And so right now, we're actually in the stage of just waiting. Um, our paperwork got to South Africa, which is where we're adopting from. It got to South Africa about five months ago. So for the past five months, we've been waiting to get matched, which means we're waiting to find out who our kiddo is. We're waiting to find out what gender they even are, because we're open to boy or girl. We're waiting to find out what age they are, because we're open to an age range. We're even waiting to find out if we're going to adopt one or two kids. So a lot of stuff that we're waiting on all built up within this wait. And I'm sure that you guys aren't waiting to find out who your kiddo is in South Africa. Uh, that's kind of a specific thing to us right now. But you're probably waiting for other things in your life right now. Um, and you've probably been waiting for things uh, throughout your life, whether they're big things or small things. Um, I'm sure that you can relate to the feeling of waiting. Maybe it's that right now you're waiting to graduate. You're going to graduate really soon, or you're going to graduate in four years, and you just can't wait. Um, maybe you're waiting to get a text back from the guy or the girl that you really like right now. Maybe you're waiting to hear back from a job interview that you recently had. Uh, that can be a really tough wait. Maybe you're just simply waiting for your Amazon package to arrive, um, or just waiting for the weekend. So whatever it is, I think that all of us are used to the feeling of waiting. Um, but here's the thing, even though all of us always have something that we're waiting for, or recently had something that we're waiting for, there's actually a bigger thing in the grand scheme of life that all of us are waiting for. And I think it's the biggest, best thing that any of us could ever possibly wait for, and that is Jesus's return here to earth. Um, so, yeah. Uh, while I'm sure uh, there are some people here that, man, maybe hearing that we're going to be talking about, as you can see on the screen, um, yeah, waiting with eternity in mind and waiting for Jesus's return, maybe that sounds weird or boring or maybe uh, you are not even sure if you believe that he came a first time. But I would just encourage you guys, man, I really hope that you listen tonight um, with open hearts and open ears um, to learn a little bit more about maybe who Jesus is and what he did here on earth and what he's 
going to come back to do, um, and that you even glean something about just waiting in general. So, yeah, as I mentioned, um, this whole series that we're going to be starting is on the topic of Jesus coming back and what that waiting should look like. So, yeah, um, the series that we're starting tonight um, and we're going to be doing for the next several weeks is actually going to be focusing in on two books in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And I just wanted to give you guys like a really brief, tiny snapshot of what those books of the Bible look like. So 1 and 2 Thessalonians were written by the Apostle Paul to the church of Thessalonica, so it's a place. Um, and they were a group of new believers. Um, even though these people were really brand new in their faith, um, they were honestly, the whole church was barely just a year old. Um, they were actually becoming really well known for their really strong faith and their contagious faith. Um, and churches and different people all over the area were talking about them um, in a really good way. But we first were introduced to the church of Thessalonica, um, the Thessalonians, in actually the beginning of Acts, chapter 17. That's where you get to see um, this group of people start off. And yeah, in the beginning of chapter 17 in Acts, um, you get to see that Paul uh, stops in Thessalonica on a missionary journey, and the church of Thessalonians was born. Uh, sadly, however, right after these people come to know the Lord, another group of people in Thessalonica who were not fond of Paul's message about Jesus actually kick him out, um, and he has to leave. So he barely had any time with these um, new believers, the Thessalonians. And so, um, yeah, when we uh, see Paul's writing in First and Second Thessalonians, it's actually Paul writing to the Thessalonians to encourage them um, and to answer some questions that they had. So. Here in chapter 1, verses 2 through 3 in First Thessalonians, I think we will have it up on the screen, yep, uh, we get to see Paul actually encouraging the Thessalonians right away. And he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor, of love and steadfastness, of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So not only does Paul's letters continually speak words of love and encouragement to the Thessalonians, like we see up here on the screen, but he also uses these letters to teach them more about Jesus and his kingdom, which is such a rich example of what discipleship should look like. Um, Paul is encouraging and teaching this group of new believers from miles and miles away, and he's taking the time to write them a letter. So one of the biggest themes that runs throughout Paul's letters to the Thessalonians is Jesus's second coming. In fact, Jesus's second coming is mentioned in every chapter of 1 Thessalonians, so we'll pop that up on the screen too. We're not going to read each of these verses. I just wanted to show you a reference to each verse that you can see mention of Jesus's second coming in chapter 1 in verse 10, in chapter 2 in 19 through 20, in chapter 3 in 13, in chapter 14 or in chapter 4, 13 through 18. And then finally in chapter 5, the last chapter of this book, 
you see it through verses 1 through 11. So as I mentioned before, our new series will be focusing on what our time of waiting for Jesus' second coming should look like. So since I keep mentioning Jesus' second coming and the various weeks coming up are all going to be through the lens of Jesus' return, I think it's really important to stop and talk about what is Jesus' return, what is Jesus' second coming, what does that actually mean? So first, let's actually take a step back and look at the timeline of Jesus' story through the grand narrative of the whole Bible. Uh, so again, here on the screen, we're going to be putting a lot of stuff up on the screen. Um, I have a breakdown showing how each book of the Bible actually points towards Jesus. So uh, the book of Genesis through Deuteronomy is the foundation for Jesus. Joshua through Esther is the preparation for Jesus. Job through Song of Solomon is the longing for Jesus. Isaiah through Malachi is the expectation of Jesus. So this span of books is actually all prophetic books, and they all speak of a Savior coming. And then right after that starts the New Testament, and that's where we get to see Jesus and um, his time here on earth. So from Matthew through John, we get to see the person and work of Jesus. And during these times, um, yeah, Jesus fulfilled over... 300 Old Testament prophecies, which is crazy. Get to see all this stuff in the Old Testament prophesying about a savior, Jesus coming, and then when he comes, he actually fulfills all of them, so many of them. Um, and then right after that in Acts, we get to see the continued work of Jesus, and this is where we get to see the church uh, begin and grow. And then Romans through Jude, we get to see um, living for the fame of Jesus. And in these books, um, yeah, it shows how the Lord calls us to live for Jesus and live in expectation of his second coming. So Revelation, the last book of the Bible, is the return and reign of Jesus, and this is a foretelling of Jesus's final return. So it's, yeah, a revelation. It's not come yet. So tonight I want to stop and help you see that you are also part of Jesus's story. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but you're not just this person on the sideline watching it all happen, but when you read scripture, you should know that you're a part of that too. You're a part of what Jesus is doing uh, throughout history. So we're living in the time that many Bible scholars call the already, but not yet. So what this means is that we are living in the part of history where Jesus has already come to earth once, but has not yet come again. Jesus' first coming is what we get to read about in the four gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus humbly came to the earth as a baby, as a servant to sacrifice himself for us, taking on the punishment that all of humanity deserves for their sin. Then he came back to life and conquered death for us so that we can have the opportunity to choose abundant life and eternal life with him. So an article on the website, Got Questions, for those of you who know me know that I love this website. I highly recommend it. If you've got questions about scripture or spiritual things, this is a great resource. Um, but yeah, we'll pop a quote up on the screen from this. Um, yeah, this quote from Got Questions explains Christ's first coming and his imminent return. Jesus fulfilled many of the prophecies of the Messiah during his birth life, ministry, death, and resurrection. However, there are some prophecies regarding the Messiah that Jesus has not yet fulfilled. The second coming of, Jesus, of Christ 
will be the return of Christ to fulfill these remaining prophecies. In his first coming, Jesus was the suffering servant. In his second coming, Jesus will be the conquering king. In his first coming, Jesus arrived in the most humble of circumstances. In his second coming, Jesus will arrive with the armies of heaven at his side. Guys, what a cool picture. First, we get to see that Jesus came um, as a baby in a very humble way, and he fulfilled all those prophecies in the Old Testament. And now we're living in a time where we get to look forward to him coming again as conquering king. While we get to live in this exciting time of waiting for Jesus' return, there's also a sense of tension that we experience within this time of waiting. <clears throat> in Hebrews 2, 8 through 9, it says, At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So, while he walked among us on earth for a little while, at present we don't get to see everything under Jesus' rule, which in short means that we still experience much of the brokenness of this world because when Jesus returns again, he will once and for all make right everything that's been broken by sin. So in his book, God's Big Picture, um, author Vaughn Roberts, I don't know if you've ever heard of this book. If you haven't, another thing I highly recommend, really good book. Uh, he gives a vivid explanation of the tension we feel with living in the already but not yet. Uh, Robert says, have you ever been in the kitchen when someone is baking something, deli some delicious food? The cook lets you have a taste before giving you strict instruction not to touch any more until it is served on the table. The, antici the anticipation is almost unbearable. It would have been easier if you had not been allowed that taste. But now that you know how delicious it is, you find it very hard to wait for another mouthful. Those two hours before the meal seem like an eternity. It is similar for us in the Christian life. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, a taste of the blessing of heaven. We know something of what it means to know God through Christ and to be loved by him, and we cannot wait to feel it more. That sense of frustration will never leave us in this age. It is an inevitable consequence of the fact that we live in this in-between period in the intersection of ages. So yeah, I don't know if you guys have even stopped to realize before this night that you live in a really pivotal time in history. You live in this intersection of ages. So this weight, just like any weight, is hard. But what's really sweet is that we are not alone in feeling this tension. In fact, uh, the early churches, the first churches that we get to read about in the New Testament <clears throat> also lived in the already but not yet, which I think is pretty cool. Like, we get to share that in common with the first churches, the people that we get to read about in the New Testament. Um, so, yeah, they lived in the already but not yet, and they also felt this fr frustration, and they also had a lot of questions. The new church in Thessalonica felt this, and many had questions. Um, which is why we can see the theme of Christ's return threaded throughout Paul's two letters to them. And this is really good news for us because we get to learn alongside of them in a, in a sense. We're 
way farther in history than them. But we get to see what Paul writes to them, and we get to learn the way that they learned from Paul. Um, yeah, we get to learn how to wait for Jesus the way that Jesus calls us to wait for him. So throughout this series, we'll be jumping around First and Second Thessalonians, um, looking at various aspects of waiting and what that entails and the way that the Lord calls us to wait for him. But for the rest of our time tonight, I actually want to focus on the end of 1 Thessalonians um, in chapter 5, because I believe that this gives us a really good picture of the theme of waiting for Jesus' return. So if you want to turn with me, I forgot to look in the Blue Bibles. Um, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 11. If somebody gets to it in the Blue Bible and they just want to yell out the page number, that could be super helpful for other people. <clears throat> I should have been expecting to be scared, but I wasn't. All right, 574, if you're in the Blue Bibles. Thank you, Dore. All right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now, concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Awesome. Okay, so just want to point out, I think it's really sweet that he's kind of teaching and instructing them, obviously, but then he ends it with, yeah, continue to do this, just as you are doing. So it's not one of those things of, you're not doing this right, but he's encouraging them to do it all the more. So, first we can see that Paul is telling them to be ready for Christ's return. He explains that Jesus will come quickly like a thief in the night or like labor pains of a pregnant woman. And these analogies that he gives specifically apply to what Jesus' return will be like for those who don't personally know Jesus. Paul depicts them as those who are in darkness. Verse 3 states that this group of people will have a false sense of peace and security, which is pretty scary, and that suddenly destruction will come upon them. The final reign of Jesus will come. He will come as a conquering king, and those who haven't placed their faith and trust in him will experience his wrath against sin. However, Paul tells the Thessalonians and all believers that they are children of the light, that they're not in darkness that children of God are in the light because we have come to know the light of the world, who is Jesus. 
and the truth of the gospel. And since we are in the light, we must stay awake and sober. And so you should, at this point, be asking yourselves, what does Paul mean by being awake and sober? Because um, if you haven't picked up, he's using it as an analogy. So <clears throat> he means to stay alert and self-disciplined. Awake being alert and sober being self-disciplined. Paul urges them not to sleep, not to be apathetic or uncaring, that this is because followers of Jesus should be alert and self-disciplined as they watch and wait for their king's return. In Luke 12, 35 through 37, Jesus tells this story as an illustration of how we are to wait for him. Stay dressed for action and keep our lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. What I think is so sweet is that, yeah, as mentioned before, we get to see that Jesus fulfilled his promise of coming the first time which should give us assurance and confidence that he is going to come a second time. And that's why we should be awake and sober. All right, so I just wanted to hone in on waiting in general. So if we're thinking about waiting for Jesus's return, I think it's important to actually spend time talking about what waiting looks like in a general sense. So when it comes to waiting, um, as I was thinking about waiting this past week, I realized that there's actually two forms of waiting. There is active waiting and there is passive waiting. First, I want to look at passive waiting. Uh, I came across a blogger's thoughts on passive waiting, um, and that'll be up on the screen too that you can read along. Uh, he shared that passive waiting is like a poison. It's pretty harsh, um, but true. We take on the form of cynicism, doing nothing, becoming begrudging and bitter. Man, does that describe the way that you wait? Uh, the bottom line is that passive waiting is lazy and self-centered. Maybe it's because we get analysis paralysis. Um, I get that a lot and I just feel overwhelmed. And rather than doing something productive in my waiting or preparing myself in my waiting, I literally want to do nothing. Or perhaps it's because, um, yeah, you've just become a really impatient child and you just kind of want to like sit in the yuckiness of the weight and just bemoan yourself and feel really sorry for yourself and sulk in it. So yeah, obviously that's the type of waiting that we are not called to, um, whether it's waiting for our Lord or just waiting for anything in general in life. But the second form of waiting is active waiting. Um, and I would argue that not only is this important for waiting for the Lord's return, but it's important in so many things that we wait for in life. So I actually sadly think that we tend to think about waiting as a passive thing. Um, so I want you guys to listen to what active waiting looks like and that it's possible. Um, when we think about ways that we can turn all waiting into active waiting, it is easy to see the benefits of being an active waiter. Um, I found just through like Googling, what does active waiting look like? I actually came across an article on 
what was it called, Harvard Business Review's website. Felt very fancy being on that website. Um, and it was from uh, an MIT professor um, wrote a blog on this website, and he shared that to survive and thrive in volatile markets, managers can pursue a strategy of active waiting, which consists of anticipating, preparing for, and seizing opportunities, and dealing with threats as they arrive. So man, even the business world sees a huge benefit in active waiting. And I don't know about you, but when I read this quote, I started to see some connections to the way that this uh, business professor talked about active waiting and the way that the Lord calls us to wait actively for him. Uh, when I saw the word anticipating and preparing, I thought of anticipating and participating, uh, anticipating and preparing for his magnificent return. Um, man, not only is it important in the business world to anticipate and prepare for things, but the Lord calls us to do this when we are waiting for him. And then seizing opportunities. There are so many things that the Lord wants us to seize opportunities in. Um, it could be seizing opportunities in how to share um, his gospel, his good news with the people around you, seizing opportunities in how to love people well, seizing opportunities in, man, spending time with the Lord. And then finally, <clears throat> dealing with and conquering threats. I don't know about you, but I actually have a lot of threats in my spiritual life, um, threats from Satan, um, threats from the enemy um, in all sorts of ways, but the Lord calls us to deal with those things and conquer them, not just on our own, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, because there's no way we could ever possibly do it on our own. So throughout the course of the next several weeks, uh, we're going to be, uh, yeah, as I said, in, in Thessalonians, um, we'll be diving deeper into how to do these things, um, how to wait well for Jesus's return by covering topics like holiness, loving others well, working for the Lord, giving thanks to the Lord, and how God is at work in the waiting. But in the meantime, I challenge you all to ask yourselves, um, and I'll put these questions up on the screen. Am I an active waiter or a passive waiter? Am I excited for Jesus' return? And how can I prepare my heart for his coming as I wait? I've personally actually been thinking a lot about my own tendencies in waiting um, as I was thinking through this message this past week. And it really hit me that if I'm honest with myself, I have the tendency to be an extremely passive waiter, um, thinking about the things that I wait for here on earth. Um, and I think that that actually is a window into the way that I am waiting for the Lord. So to give you guys an example, um, kind of going back to Randy and I's wait with adoption, guys, <laughs> we've been in a very passive form of waiting these past few months. I think it was almost like after we got all our paperwork in, it was like this relief of, oh man, all our paperwork is done. Like, that was so hard. We should like give ourselves a pat on the back and just like chill for a while. Um, and I think that a lot of times we do this in life, um, and it makes us pretty passive and apathetic towards things. Um, so to give you guys an example, there are actually 
so many things that Randy and I could be doing right now um, to be preparing and actively waiting to be matched with our kiddos. So yeah, we've been doing things like pushing off adoption classes. Yeah, that's a thing. If you didn't know that that was a thing, that's a thing. Um, pushing off like applying for grants. Um, yeah, waiting till later to read that like super helpful book that somebody recommended to us about parenting an adopted child. Um, yeah, just forgetting to even pray for our kids. Uh, we're adopting kind of sort of older kids. They're probably going to be like older toddlers. So the fact of the matter is they're alive right now and we want to be praying for them, but we are pretty passive in our weight and we keep putting it off. Um, we do it every now and then. Um, and then just, man, even just thinking that we have so much time um, to prepare for their arrival and just kind of like pushing off these things. Um, but the truth of the matter is life is short and we don't have all the time in the world. Um, all of these things that we're waiting for are actually like pretty short in the grand scheme of things. So yeah, if we were to embrace active waiting with our adoption, our hearts would grow deeper in love with our child as we wait for them through preparing our lives for them in emotional and mental and physical ways. Um, and just to give you guys an idea, this list is like not gonna um, connect with you guys because I'm assuming none of you are adopting right now. But as I like read this list to you, I want you to think about like the thing that you're waiting for right now and how you could make your own list of things that you could be doing to be an active waiter. So the things that I thought of for Randy and I as we prepare for our kiddos is, yeah, praying for them. Learning about parenting, because we're not parents yet and we have no idea how to do that. Uh, learning about how to meet specific and special needs of a child adopted from South Africa. Learning their heart language, getting, ready, getting our house ready for them, and just learning the history and culture of South Africa so we can incorporate that into our lives right now. Um, so I'm imagining that you could make your own lists of the ways that you could actively wait for physical things in your life right now, like the here and now, but also actively wait for the Lord. Um, as we learn how to actively wait for things to happen here on earth, that's the Lord's way of preparing our hearts um, to actively wait for him. If we're really bad at actively waiting for physical things here on earth, pretty sure that's going to mean that we're really bad at actively waiting for the Lord. Uh, he wants to mold our hearts in the waiting. Um, and yeah, he's got a plan for it all. So to close my message out tonight, um, I actually wanted to share a really powerful quote from a pastor named Paul Tripp. Um, I was trying to think of like how I could like incorporate all this amazing stuff that I read from him in my message. And then I decided, nope, I don't want to mess with what he said. I think it's so amazing. I want you guys to just hear it. So listen to this. Uh, the whole message of scripture is that the time and place that we are in right now is not our final destination. We are in preparation for our final destination. You can't try to turn this moment into paradise. The waiting that we're introduced to in the New Testament isn't meaningless. It's a call to action. Waiting is an action. But waiting is not just about what you will get at the end of the wait. Waiting is about what you become as you wait. Waiting is a tool of God's sanctifying grace 
He uses waiting to transform us and to restore us. Waiting is a participatory action. So, yeah, just want to challenge you guys to think about how are you waiting right now for the Lord? And you might be asking yourselves, I don't really know what active waiting looks like when it comes to waiting for the Lord's return. But the good news is the next several weeks, we're going to be diving into topics to show what the Lord has called us to in this wait for him. So will you allow the Lord to transform you and restore you as you participate in this stage of waiting for him? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are a good, good God, and we are just so thankful for the way that you sent your son, um, Jesus, to take on our punishment in such a humble way, and we anticipate with great excitement, but man, even sometimes with fear of the unknown, of what it will mean when he comes again. Will you just help prepare our hearts for his second coming? Help, um, help us in the waiting of the here and now, um, whether it's waiting for just different things here on earth, and man, waiting for the best thing ever, for Jesus's return as a victorious king. We pray this all in your son's name, amen.